Welcome to the Four Wards Podcast. <laughs> hey, what's up? It's Eric Bra, voice of Draven, Jerks, and Velkaz. And you're listening to the Four Wards Podcast, here to help you move forward and lead. Hello, and welcome to episode 359 of the Four Wards Podcast. I'm your host, as usual, I'm Jack Soman, and I've got with me two other wards to help you move forward in League of Legends. Crush is here. Hey, I'm, I'm around. And we've got Bomo. I am a ward. It's true. He is. I've seen it. Guys, we are the Four Wards Podcast. We are part of the Trinity Force Network. If you head on over to trinityforcenetwork.com, you'll find links to all of our past episodes and all the other shows on the network, like the Trinity Force Podcast or the League Rundown. You'll also find the link to our Discord. Come join the Discord. Come hang out with us. Come play games with us. It's a great time. Now, if you want to support the network, head on over to patreon.com slash tforcenetwork. Five dollars will get you first dibs on any planned tournaments. You get an email ahead of everyone else with information on how to sign up. We are on Twitter, at Forwards Podcast, and some of us stream on Twitch. I promise, after Worlds, I'll be back to streaming at twitch.tv slash jacksoman. Crush streams the podcast every week, usually on Thursday evenings, at twitch.tv slash crushyou. And Bomo streams at twitch.tv slash bomosapien. The first O is a zero. Also, those links are all in the episode description, so if you forget what the hell I just said, just go to the episode description, <laughs> click the link, and you can get to our Twitch that way. Or if you hate typing. <laughs> yes <laughs> last and certainly not least listeners you have actually sent in quite a few questions and that's freaking awesome don't stop Yay. send your questions to four wards at trinityforcepodcast.com so we can answer them on the show if you send us too many questions it just means we'll just spend more time answering them until we can get through the ball so send us all the questions you've got so we can answer them on the show Four wards at trinityforcepodcast.com. It's all spelled out. And again, the link is in the episode description. You don't even have to type it. Just click the link. All right. Our actual topics for tonight. I'm going to start off with a little bit of an apology. We have been sporadic in our release schedule of the podcast lately. Life and worlds have gotten in the way. I promise it'll go back more normal after worlds. And then the holidays will mess it up. And then we should actually be normal after the holidays. I mean, I took a week vacation, so I was just literally gone for a week. I was not at my computer for an entire week, so. Yeah, and that's going to be happening again. A bunch of people in the podcast community are all going to San Francisco for finals, whether we can get tickets if they ever come down to sanity in price or just hang out at a fucking movie theater in San Francisco and watch it together anyway and then go to a bar afterwards. We're going to have a good time regardless, but it's going to affect our ability to put this show out on time, so Heads up, episodes will continue to be sporadic for a little while longer, but we will get it together as soon as we can. We also have a new patch. We're on patch 1220 now, so we are going to highlight some of the changes that we are excited or interested in in the patch. And Bomo, since you have two, I'm going to have you kick one of them off to start. All right, so the first one, uh, well, just, I guess... Yeah, we'll just go with this one. So Elise is getting like a quality of life change. Um, they're they're saying it's a a buff, but I I think it's just a a playstyle quality of life change. So they're readjusting the range. So the cast range for her Q is going down from six twenty five to five seventy five. And you're probably wondering why it's a quality of life change. They're actually changing the calculated distance of that Q. So before. Um, it was edge of Elise to center of target's hitbox, but now it's center of Elise to edge of the target hitbox. So what this essentially means is when you actually click on the enemy champion that you want to queue, um, it, won't, it won't look for the center portion of that champion. It's right where your mouse is clicking, essentially. So kind of the, the edge um, size of that specific champion. Um, and it's a quality of light change because... Um, before you had to have red buff to auto to slow them so you can walk up a bit and then cue them 
but now your auto range lines up with your Q, so you can just auto Q in the same instance, and it makes it just easier to play her in general. And her gank setup is also really good. Um, I That's, I didn't want to talk the about the big this. key yeah. with the autos is her auto range. I believe is five seventy five, and yeah. autos are calculated the way that her Q is now calculated for range. Yeah, they exactly. now are following the same rules with the same numbers. That's yep. big. That's mm-hmm. that's basically it. <clears throat> And so I was, I played a lot of Elise when I was a jungler, and I've been slowly trying to play her in the mid lane. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. So I think this is huge just for that weird quality of life change that was a little awkward to play her at first, but now I think she's gonna be a lot smoother to play. And I'll just go into my next one too, is a demonic embrace change. So essentially, what they're doing is making it less of a tankier item and more of like an AP bruiser item. So they're cutting the health by. 100 HP, but increasing the AP by 10, and the actual burn per tick is going down from 1% max health to 0.8% max health. So they don't right. want just full tanks to build this. They want more of like an AP heavier bruiser build for a demonic. That burn nerf is only for ranged users. This is to shunt it away from champions like Cassiopeia and Morgana, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, my read of this is this should be tankiness mild nerf no matter what but like damage should actually be a slight buff for champions that are supposed to be considering building this like mm-hmm. Maokai and Amumu even though they literally name Amumu as someone it's doing too well on like Amumu's not gonna care oh no I have a hundred less health I kill you slightly faster he has really good yeah. AP ratios 10 is a lot yeah I, I'm thinking about trying this on Diana, um, but instead of going like the Sunfire Demonic build, I might just try Proto Belt with this and just see how it feels. But shifting it more to AP, but also giving you that durability when you're going in, I think would be pretty good. So I'll, I'll test it out and report back. Yeah, I, I think melee users of it in general are still fine. I don't think anything meaningfully changes. Just it's a little more offensive and a little less defensive. The, the big thing should be it should never be optimal on people who have bad AP ratios, but we're building it anyway because they are sticky. Um, like, I think it's probably dead on Udyr. Probably. Unless you want to build Protobelt Udyr or Everfrost mm-hmm. Udyr. Maybe. <laughs> Everfrost Udyr sounds like a nightmare. With Phase Rush? Oh, my goodness. All right. Speaking of nightmares, <coughs> Crush... Tell us what has happened with the armadillo that's going to give every 80 carry nightmares. So, um, Ramus got a buff. Um, apparently they had a bug fix a patch ago that resulted in a nerf, so they're buffing him to make up for it, basically. Um, basically, they've, they've removed some old stuff from his kit, like... When he did, does the defensive ball curl, it used to it, it slowed him. Like he went, he walked around slower. It was close to like rel uh, dismounted speed nerf. Honestly, that's not happening anymore. So like whenever he, he does the de- de- defensive ball curl, no self slow. He's still going to move the same speed. Um, the last bit is on his ultimate. When he's when he's launching himself in the air, uh, he gets a. He moves faster than his actual move speed. It was 105%, now it's 110%, so his ult comes out a little faster. That's that's about it. I think these are just the right amount of buffs for him. Like, I like him being able to move around faster and, and get into a fight and stay in a fight more effectively are the correct buffs for him. Um, so I think these are going to be really good buffs. I don't know if they'll like increase his power by a whole lot because they don't really do that much. I think the 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 one that'll do the most is the W lack of self slow. Because so, we'll let him follow people around. I'm better. a little confused by their patch note because there is no mention of any kind of bug fix in the 1219 patch notes that would apply to Ramus's W. There's one for Blitzcrank's W, so I'm wondering if somehow some code got tangled together and bugged out Ramus's W, and they just said, fuck this, remove it, because it's intermingled or something. The, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this, because there's definitely no mention of anything in the 319 patch notes. 
So it's weird for Riot to call out a bug fix that they didn't no, call out for in that patch. <laughs> Either way, um, I honestly don't think this really affects 80 carries and how frustrating Ramus can be for them. But I think this does significantly affect Ramus's strength against more like fighters who previously could just be like, oh, the taunt's over, let me walk away. And now Ramus can keep up with them a lot better. While he's saying, fuck you, you can't win a fight against me. <clears throat> he no longer has to choose to turn off his only tool to fight them, to keep up with them. <clears throat> That's where I think most of the actual like balance part of this improves. That and his jungle should be a little bit better because you can kite the camps to where you want to stand for the next clear slightly quicker. All right, I'm going to talk about a fun but simple patch change, which is uh, Wukong. Everyone's favorite monkey has had a design problem for a while, where when you use your ultimate on Wukong, it is actually optimal to get the knockup and immediately cancel the ult and auto attack because you do more damage that way. Which is fucking dumb. Your ultimate ability should be worth letting it run and do its damage when it's a ability that has an over 200% AD damage ratio. So they said, cool. He's supposed to be building damage items anyway. Let's buff that ratio and bumped it from 220% AD to 275% AD per cast of the Cyclone. Hopefully that's enough of a ratio bump that it's always worth actually channeling the whole thing if you don't need to cast a different ability that per stops it because it feels fucking terrible to cast your ult and immediately cancel it as the optimal gameplay pattern i'm not sure they actually hit that mark but i mean this is the design i want it to go that ability should hit like a truck and it doesn't so maybe now it does <laughs> all right there's one other patch note that I wanted to highlight before we get to listener questions because I think it's cool and important that Riot is working on this and I want people to know what they are working on. In this patch, they have added a behavioral system update. And it reads, I'm just going to read the patch note directly. Zero tolerance language will now be detected live and in-game. When detected, these messages will not be sent to other players, the offending player will be system muted, and all players will be notified. <clears throat> now, they don't clarify what zero tolerance language entails, but I think most of us can assume this is going to include racist terminology, probably sexist terminology, and other forms of hate speech, and this is probably going to include variations on kill yourself. Mm-hmm. This is a good change. Anyone who thinks it is okay to say these things in a public game should be banned. Full stop. Just period. This system doesn't do that. I don't like that fact. They should be a lot harsher on anyone who thinks these things are okay to say. But at least they are going to prevent other players from being exposed to it. And that is a good first fucking step. Yeah, I have nothing else to add to that. I just wanted to soapbox for a moment because fuck toxicity. Everyone who acts like that should just be removed from the game. If you want to vent about how shitty your teammate is, A, you don't need to be racist or sexist or other weird hate speech about it. They're just shitty. And B, that's why you stream and vent to your viewers. They're on your side. That's the point. Don't vent to your teammates. Don't be mean to people. Keep it outside the game. All right. With that, we're actually going to throw it over to a word from our sponsor real quick, and we're just going to dive into listener questions for the most of this episode. We'll be right back. Thank you to our sponsor, Moxie and Zen. Head on over to moxieandzen.com slash T-Force and use the code T-Force for 20% off your order of breathable, comfy underwear. And we're back. All right. 
Our first question I alluded to last week, Slushy Otter sent us another one, and we'll actually answer it this week. Slushy, you're welcome. <laughs> she writes, Hey, Awards, some dumb otter here to bail out your bottomed-out mailbag again. First order of business. The little Nas X tweet that says bottoms can't play league? I got tagged in by everybody. So guess no more league for me. Time to switch to fork knife instead. Jokes aside, though, when Jax brought up that tweet specifically, I 100% expected the next words out of his mouth to be, Sorry, Slushy. Well, I mean, slushy, sometimes it's just true. <laughs> All right. That out of the way, I do actually have a question for you. So you've been privy to questions from the saga of slushy learning to jungle recently, and now I have another one. How do you shot call effectively? In the group that I'm playing with consistently while learning to jungle, the majority of whom listen to this cast, so be nice, shot calling seems to fall by default either to myself or Mike of many names. I feel like my map awareness is solid, and in the majority of games, I can dictate the map and collect all four of the first neutrals, setting us up to be strong in the mid lane, and typically I've been able to do this without sacrificing pressure on the map. The mid game, however, where there isn't a neutral spawning every few minutes, I begin to fumble, and the map state seems to devolve into a bit of an NA ram. Late game and from an advantage, I'm consistently, I'm consistent about being able to close it out quickly, but from behind have been rather unsuccessful at mounting any sort of competent resistance beyond just making them work for their win. Any advice would be grace, greatly appreciated. All right. Well, Slushy, the first order of businesses, stop letting Mike of many names shot call. I love you, Mike, but it's not your skill set. You're worse at it than I am somehow. <laughs> um, so shot calling... Uh... It, it, it's different in voice versus solo queue. In solo queue, yeah. the answer for shot calling is spam ping. Yep. The... Sp specifically spam ping. Help pings on the thing you want to do, not on a person, or on my way pings <clears throat> when you're a couple seconds away from arriving because if you send it earlier, they will int before you get there. Yeah. Um, for, for shot calling, my most uh, thought is like thinking of telling people where to go on the map. And usually that's when you want them to do an objective. And that's if you're split pushing and you want them to go posture around Baron, you support ping the or, or assist me ping on Baron. Um, if you want them to group up mid and push mid, you assist me on the mid lane. Um, so what Jax was saying, you, you ping the flag icon wherever you want them to be. Um, and that that's, that's about it for solo queue for... For voice comms with friends, um, you could be a little more specific about what you want to have happen. The main thing you're going to be doing is pointing out when someone is overextended. Um, that's the most obvious thing to do, and it's like the only really useful thing you can do besides calling for when to go for an objective. Because um, generally speaking... Oh, my cat's being adorable. Um, generally speaking, you uh, have to trust your laners that they know what they're doing um, as to whether they're pushing or freezing the wave. They might want to inform you of that, but that's not a shot calling thing. That's an information gathering aspect. And you should be able to mouse the camera over to, to find that out yourself anyway. So when it comes to shot calling, that kind of stuff is basically like, no, don't freeze here because you're the only one visible on the map. They're just going to collapse on you, kind of, kind of thing. <clears throat> um, and beyond that, you, again, you don't really have to shot calling like lane assignments. Like um, uh, the laners themselves usually handle that sort of thing. Like bot lane takes the tower down. Bot lane says, "Hey, I'm going to go sit mid now," and that's you don't have to do anything there. So yeah, the the other thing I would add is. And Crush has seen this whenever I've played with him and other people. Shot calling is not just sharing information. You have to be telling people what to do. A mistake I frequently make, like this is my personal why I am a bad shot caller, is I will say things like, so-and-so is missing, probably coming bottom. Needless to say, a lot of the time, 30 seconds later, 20 seconds later, 10 seconds later, double kill for the enemy team because my bot lane didn't back off. Why? Because they heard so-and-so was missing. They may have heard of the probably coming bottom or they may have already zoned out. 
There was no directive, no call to action in that shot call. So that's just information. They may or may not actually have heard the call, even if they list, like they may not have listened to the call, even if they heard the call. That's what I'm trying to say. So the same exact scenario, if I had instead said, hey, bot lane, you need to back off. So-and-so is coming to kill you. A, the call to action exists and is the first thing they hear. It's very important. And B, I'm following it up with the reason why they should listen to me. Call to action first, reason second. Works a lot better at actually sticking in people's brains long enough for them to process it and take the action you want, which is to let their opponent actually get a couple CS so that they don't get two kills. That's what I've gonna... learned of shot calling is it's really hard to consistently keep my own brain in that frame of mind, but I have had way, 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 way more success when that's the type of shot calling that's happening, at least in, at best, semi-organized play. I'm, I'm sure if you are an actual, like, dedicated, organized fives with dedicated shot calling, it probably looks very different. But I've never experienced that. This is where I plug my Twitch again, twitch.tv slash bomosapien. Um, every Wednesdays, I stream our competitive team. Um, so we're actually in semifinals for <clears throat> the league we're in. And so we play October 26th at f 4 p.m., Pacific Daylight Time, 7 Eastern Time. Um, but yeah, you can kind of see how we shot call there. Um, the the kind of, uh, I guess you can call it like a, a troubleshooting guide or flow effect of shot calling, at least in my opinion, is what do we want to do? Can we do it? And how do we do it? And so that's kind of how a lot of the, the calls, at least our team makes. So say you want to play for Dragon. The call is let's play for Dragon. And the next question should be, are we able to actually contest and fight for Dragon? Have people backed properly? Do people need to back? Um, what are the situations? Are they? Is the enemy team just ahead and we can't contest? And so if you can answer that question, the next question is, all right, this is our goal and we know we can do it. How do we prepare for this goal? So specifics being like, if you want to prepare for Dragon, you want to make sure you have mid lane prio, push out mid lane so you have the vision of the minions to see where the enemy is coming from, from the mid lane so you can't get blindsided from the mid wave and then making sure bots pushed out and making sure you have wards on entrances and from that point you start talking about how you want to play the specific dragon fight so you either want to look to burst the objective take it and leave or if someone sh if a specific person shows you're like if x or y show on the map we're turning right away and we're going on them and the biggest thing with shot calling too is everyone needs to believe in that call um, as soon as one person says i don't think that's a good idea it all falls apart and so i think with the a designated shot caller even if the call is bad you want your team to kind of respond together um, and that's kind of how i picture shot calling it may not be the best way but that seems what i found to have worked is kind of a checks and balances of what you want to do and can we do it and then from there how are we actually going to be able to pull that off and as you keep asking these questions over again for each of the specific instances, it starts becoming pretty easy and you can start identifying at a really quick rate if you can can or cannot do it given your specific uh, position in the game. All right. So yeah, thanks for the question, Slushy. You know you're always welcome to send more questions in. Uh, speaking of more questions, uh, so Shorty2K sent us a pile of questions. We answered a couple last week. We're going to answer a couple more, and I'm going to start with one that relates to something we were discussing before the show. So I'm going to start with question six of top lane, which is, what factors matter for deciding to build health or resistances on a tank in top lane is the question, but I think it actually applies regardless of where you're playing a tank. And there's, to my thinking two main variables that matter for whether you should build health or resistances, which is what do you have more of currently? Build the other one. Uh, or two, do you get something else out of building that stat 
that can skew it to where that stat is preferable to focus on regardless. Examples of that being, some champions scale their damage with their health, like Cho'Gath scales his ult with his health a little bit. Now, that in Cho'Gath's case, he also gets max health from his kit, so his option is you build resistance items because you're getting free health, and that, therefore resistance items are going to be higher value. But there's other champions that have scaling in their kit, like Malphite scales his E damage with armor, Ramus same way with his ball curl, that can make building resistances, even if it's not the optimal make me tankier play, still the correct play for the circumstances of the game. But general rule of thumb, champions that get a lot of free health, like Cho'Gath or Scion, should mostly be focusing on high resistance items, like Frozen Heart, uh, Randuin's Force of Nature, those types of items. Champions with a lot of healing in their kit, in particular, should be looking at Spirit Visage, unless there's literally no magic damage on the enemy team. Um, and champions with a lot of built-in resistances in their kit, such as, for example, Leona, should be prioritizing mostly health. Sejuani is another example of that, where health is just way more valuable on her because she gets an ungodly amount of armor and magic resist for the first few sections, sections seconds of a fight. Words are hard. I'm going to let you guys chime in. That's basically all correct. Um, one thing to note is that one of the things that doesn't matter is, like, the enemy champions. Like, almost barely at all. <sighs> Because, like, for example, if they have a Vayne on the enemy team, it doesn't matter what you build, it's not going to be effective against her, so it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, you have... build items for the utility of what do they do for you. Like, yeah. you're not building Frozen it, Heart it also, to be tankier you, you against her, out... you're building Frozen Heart to lower her attack speed. Right. You balance out your resistances, it's not, you don't build resistances. It's like, they have all AD damages, do you build armor or health? It's not they have all AD, do you build armor or magic resist? Because that question isn't... <laughs> that's not a question. Um, exactly. So it, it doesn't really matter what the enemy team is doing for what you should be building. Um, and that even includes, like, there's some champions that do max, max percent health damage. Um, uh, as a... Like, Vayne does it through true damage, so it doesn't matter whatever. Um, other champions, I think the one I'm thinking of is Lilia, and I think Mumu too. Lilia deal... and Mumu both have percent max health magic damage in their kits. Magic damage. And that's the important thing, is that that doesn't that still doesn't really matter. It still doesn't make you build health or, or MR, one or the or the other, more than the other. Because you're still, the, the calculation is still, do I have enough health, do I need more resistances, or do I have enough resistances, do I need more health? It, the fact that they do max health damage doesn't really matter for that. By the time it matters, you've already overcompensated on one over the other too much, and you need to claw it back anyway for for the first reason, not for this champion. Also, reason. by the time it matters, they have penetration stats and damage stats <laughs> yeah. always outscale tank stats in League of Legends. That is intentional. Yep. So yeah, that's that's most of it. Like. Honestly, I know Frozen Heart is very popular in pro play, but, like, don't build a fucking Frozen Heart in solo queue unless your name is Scion or Cho'Gath, because you need health. <laughs> like, not second item. Third item is fine. But you need some health first. Alright, let's get one more of these. Um, two number two. I like this, I like this jungle question, so I'm going to ask okay, the Kane question, because I'm a former Kane main. On Kane, should I always path for form, top for red, usually bot for blue, or does volatile mashups take precedence? The second one. Yeah. So here's the, the dirty little secret for Kane. It doesn't matter who you fight. It's more important to get form, even if it's the wrong one, and wait out the timer than it is to try to get the optimal targets to transform into what you want. Mm-hmm. And you get more energy from the plays as game time progresses. You will generally get the form of whatever the last play was that triggered it. Unless you are heavily skewed in one direction prior to that. So, like, if your meter's 99% full and you've only hit melee champions, yeah, you're getting red form no matter who you hit to actually proc it. 
If your meter's like 50% full, whoever you gank next decides it. It has nothing to do with what you've done up till then, so you should have up till then been trying to have the most impact on the map you can. Right. Yeah, that's basically what it comes down to, is that it, having an impact on the map is more important than which form you trigger first, so prioritize impact on map over over which form. So it doesn't... Which form doesn't matter. Yep. I have absolutely had a ton of Kane games where I wanted to go red form because it made sense for the circumstance. But my top laner and mid laner just kind of smashed, so the only place I needed to be was bottom lane. So I just ganked bottom over and over and over. I procced blue form at like nine minutes into the game. That's fine. I just waited it out. I was red form before 13 minutes because you do still reduce the timer whenever you hit a melee champion in that case. Mm -hmm. um, which meant I was red form by the time it mattered. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I was able to say, hey, I have two winning lanes. I only have one lane that needs me and it's not a lost cause. I'll just live there. Meant suddenly we had three one lanes and we just smashed the game. All right. Um, you guys see anyone you want to highlight in all of these for today? And then we'll move on to the next person's questions. Um, no, we can just do the next question real quick. Not real quick, but. All right. I'm going to pick one for bot lane then because I want to hear Crush's response to this. Because I okay. think it's going to be the same as mine. Are completed boots a higher value build on support than other roles? Yes. With the only exception of jungle. <laughs> Like, um, if you're playing Jungle support and properly, Callista. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. Callista's um, kind of a weird edge case in that her passive literally scales with boot tier. There are ADCs who build boots first as well, and there's also Yasuo and Yone that build boots first. But yes, support support almost always wants to build boots first as well. The same for junglers. You can sort of hold off on the on the completed boots for jungle, um, but the reason is because if you're playing support correctly, you're roaming, and when you're moving that far, having upgraded boots makes your roam plays come out faster. It means instead of being ten seconds late, you're on time, um, and they help for warding. They help for everything a support wants to be doing. Um, so they are high priority for support. They're 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 good for everybody, of course. They're only really high priority on support, jungle, and Callista. <laughs> yeah, and to be clear, a lot of champions it is correct to take magical footwear. In my opinion, every single champion that it is correct to take magical footwear on, regardless of role, you should be upgrading to tier two boots as soon as it procs. But especially for supports. And um, Yasuo and Yone. Yasuo and Yone just should not be taking magical footwear. They need the boots <laughs> before then. I, I've been seeing a lot of junglers taking magical footwear recently, and I'm like, yep. so on the, on the one hand, yay, it's too. moving you faster. On the other hand, boo, you don't get boots until really late in the game. So the reason for that is that jungle as a role is somewhat gold-starved compared to the three carry roles. That's fair. And Magical Boots save the jungler 300 gold, which lets them hit the mythic item spike to be able to win the dragon fight that decides the game because your team all ends a dragon fight they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's literally it. It's to have mythic by second dragon is the idea, even in a game where you're not snowballed like crazy. And if you're snowballed like crazy, you get your Magical Boots faster. <laughs> see, I've seen, I've heard people use that exact same argument for the reason why they should take... Um... Futures market on jungle as well, so that they can have the item. I think it's valid if you're already in that tree. I don't hate futures market on junglers for that reason. But... I hate it on junglers because they're already gold starved. Making them have less gold is even worse. But it, it I see has an argument to be for used correctly. Yeah, have it, have it, it has to be used to spike for <coughs> the objective. The the main reason I've seen for it has been uh, to get boots and iron spike whip on your first back, for example. Instead of only one but or the other, are, are they? Not a lot of junglers are in the the inspiration tree for their primary, right? Because I no. feel like very, you have to go. Few. You have to go the cosmic insight as jungler. The smite cooldown reduction, I think, is yep. way too big to not go. And so, if that's your default one for sure, then 
I think Boots is the secondary. I don't know what maybe what other ones, if you're foregoing Boots for a futures market. I, but, I'm interpreting uh, it as more the few f- junglers who should be in that tree already. Like Karthus, for mm-hmm. example, takes first strike. He's already actually in that tree. Yeah. I think it would be really um, good on Karthus, too, because it, it it speeds up your damage, essentially. If you're able to get certain breakpoints, like get your Mythic sooner, and you just go in debt, it doesn't really matter too much because you have that damage spike. Yeah, especially in the case of Karthus, you make up the gold loss of Futures Market on your next mm-hmm. ult cast because you spiked. Because yeah. you got your item completed. That yeah, I've fine. seen a couple uh, jungle assassins actually going um, first strike too, like Rengar and Echo. Yeah. I've seen them run first Blue strike, Kane. which actually seems pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a good rune on some bloody junglers. fiddlesticks do it too, and it's scary. <laughs> Dude makes a lot of money off first strike, which is really fiddlesticks scary. is scary if he can get ahead, and first strike when he's someone who's good enough at fiddlesticks to get ahead just exacerbates that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you again for your questions. We will answer some more next week, Shorty. All right. With that, our next question comes from Evie Genie. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce that. In which case, I'm assuming you're a genie who, instead of granting wishes, just grants electric cars to people. (laughs) (laughs) Or expected value, genie. No, mine's more fun. (laughs) All right. So... Evie Genie writes, hi, my question is, what is the monetary value of a dragon? Can you make a rough estimate of monetary value for a dragon? Example, 100, 300, 500, 1,000, 2,000 gold. What I mean is, how much would the dragon buffs cost if they could be bought for all team members in the shop? Uh, For a jungler, it is important to know when to make a dragon call and when to skip dragon in favor of other resources on the map. Putting a price tag on the dragon will make these decisions easier. Shit. General rule of thumb. It does vary based on a lot of circumstances, including just how well does your team use the stats of that dragon. But general rule of thumb is approximately 800 gold for the team, spread out over all five people, per dragon buff. And then approximately three to 4,000 gold for the soul. These are very- yeah, the soul is the most the most gold you can get out of a neutral objective on the map. Just, <clears throat> I think I think period, maybe Elder Dragon buff might be the one that, that comes close to it. Like that's the only It's one also just the hardest one to straight up value. Yeah. Um but so generally speaking, it gives you about the same gold as a Rift Herald taking plates. Without taking the turret, just taking the plates. And but the reason why you still prioritize Herald over Dragon is because Dragon gives you specific things, doesn't just give you raw gold that you can use to change into whatever item you want or get a next Mythic yep. item faster. Um, it, it, it's the same reason that it's never optimal to just build six BF swords. Yeah, that's a <laughs> lot of raw AD, but you've just spent a shitload of gold without getting the special effects of combining an item. Dragon's mm-hmm. kind of the same way. It's a bunch of raw stats, but it's not a special mechanic until you get soul. Yeah. The... I... Go ahead. Velma. I will also say, too, it's, it's hard to put a value at the given moment because as the game goes on, that. a lot of the dragon buffs get better because mm-hmm. it enhances your current stats. So if you, like, say for Infernal Dragon is 6% extra AD or AP. AD AP, right? Is that what it yeah. is? So if you only have, say, 100 damage, it's 6% of 100, so you get 6 AD. But if you're at 300, that brings it up to 18 extra damage. So it scales based on how strong you're at the moment. I think that's why teams are looking for earlier dragon takes, if, especially if it's free. Because it's, it's, it's a little stat bonus at the given moment, but as the game progresses, you'll have those stacks with you, and it'll enhance your current champion stack so in terms of the immediate gold i would say probably about 800 right when you first take it but as the game goes on it's it's almost like an investment where eventually it's worth a lot more than 800 it's also one of those things where it depends on the dragon in question like it's really easy to put an actual gold value on a hextech drake it gives you nine ability haste and nine percent attack speed those don't scale with anything they're just stats and Attack speed, you can just straight up buy. 
ability haste you ha can only get out of combined items so it's harder to put a raw gold value on it but that one is like the easiest to say it's about 800 gold for the team yeah um, the other it also thing... is why Hextech Drake is so strong as a first Drake because it gives non-scaling stats. It's just a straight up, yeah. you have nine ability haste and 9% attack speed when you have almost none of those stats because it's early game. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other reason why the dragon isn't... The dragon versus Rift Herald loses because the Rift Herald gives you those that amount of gold immediately. And, like, you can use that to snowball the game and get more more gold than you could otherwise. The dragon, while they do scale, it doesn't really take effect at the time that you take it. That's that's Those are the those are the decisions as to why, all else being equal, Herald is better than dragon. If the, yep. they're all up top lane, yeah, sure, dragon's better because it's free, but... <laughs> all that's else being equal, That's why you see in pro Herald play, they put such an emphasis on Herald specifically. Because yeah. it allows them to snowball the game. In your solo queue game where everything's more disorganized, especially Ocean or Hextech, those dragons are really strong early and can easily be more valuable than Rift Herald in terms of the overall impact on the game, mm -hmm. even if the raw gold value may or may not be. That's debatable. Um, like, whereas an early Mountain or an early Infernal Dragon, who gives a fuck? It literally does nothing in the early game. Mm -hmm. Well, Look at it this way. In pro play, they consider the Herald to be so important that they rotate the bot lane up to take it. Yep. They The bot lane doesn't rotate for any other reason. <laughs> like, the closest, as I've seen, has been they have a specific reason for wanting to drag or wanting to not take the 2v2, so they keep swapping top and bottom. It's really rare. But yeah. rotating up for Rift Herald happens every game. So... They At they least put a lot of, of the teams on that. always does it if yes. not both in pro play. Yep, yep. Um, but again, that is in pro play. Get gold. Yeah. Um, in my solo queue games, when I'm jungling, I heavily prioritize Rift Herald because it is something that I can use to get me personally ahead. Mm -hmm. Whereas Dragon is spread out across my whole team, and I don't trust yes. those fucks. I'm playing solo queue. Yep. Because <clears throat> here's yeah, the secret: it... as the jungler. You always get at least half the value of the plates Rift Herald takes. Except bot lane, you might get a third. But you get a full value if your teammate's a dumbass and dies when you gank their laner. <laughs> You're always getting value out of it. Yeah. Personal value. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and if you really want to associate to a, a monetary value in the game, um, so just for example, first Hextech Dragon gives you nine attack speed and a dagger gives you 12 percent attack speed so 200 just for the attack speed so it doesn't account for the ability power but as soon as you hit your second hex tech soul it bumps up to 18 percent attack speed so you can figure out the math it's like what an extra 400 ish goal or something yeah, so so that's why i think like hex tech drake in particular is super valuable early because it's 225 gold worth of attack speed and close to the same amount for ability haste again it's much muddier on how to value ability haste because it's not a raw stat you can buy directly per person it's over a thousand gold in stats just for the attack speed the ability haste is then separate hextech dragon is weird there's not that many champions that use both ability haste and attack speed but like ezreal right. does for example right so there are a few and the few that exist are really happy about early hextechs Okay, that's enough. Let's go on to our next question, which comes from Alec, who writes, I'm playing Everfrost Bard, and you can't stop me. When I get filled support, I almost never build a support item, mainly after seeing the Bronze Jinx kamikaze into the enemy team with her rocket out. Is it trolling if it works? So No, I don't have to stop rocket you. Out, the, the, the enemy gonna, team does that. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to take with her rocket out as my new favorite euphemism for this episode. <laughs> that's gonna be the episode title there we go that, that's the episode title right there with uh, kamikaze with her, with her rocket out <laughs> all right honestly like i don't even think everfrost bard is trolling everfrost is strong as fuck on anyone with cc as long as you remember to use the damn thing in fights yes you know what sure go for it exactly like 
There's a lot of champions I think it's not optimal on, but it's fine. Bard would fall into that category. Do I think Everfrost is trolling? No. Do I think it's the best mythic you can pick on him? Also no. <laughs> that can that can yeah, those questions can both be no. <laughs> um I think it's fine. Yeah, it, it's fine. As long as you remember to use it. There there are too many people that forget to use it or don't use it and it just doesn't doesn't give you value. Like literally any other mythic is better than that if you if you're not using the active. Except for except for Hextech uh belt because it's the same thing. <laughs> I mean, kind of. It's a lot harder to say every champion can use the dash it creates than to say that everyone can use the the root from uh, right. Everfrost because it's very easy to over-index on mobility. Yeah. Take a highly mobile champion, add another dash, who gives a shit? Right, but if you're not using the active on, on both of those items, they're both the worst mythics. <laughs> eh, yeah, pretty much. I don't know. Rocket Belt's not far off Ludens in terms of power, even if you don't freaking use it, just because it gives so much penetration and a better stat profile for people who don't need it. Mana. Alright, anyway. Sorry. Let's uh, answer some questions from Panda, who writes, Hey, fellas. Long-time listener, first-time questioner. My miso and I have started playing ranked together, and we got put in Silver 4. I'm maining Lux Middle and Silas when she's banned, moving to 80 carry as backup. She is a support main with Nami, Zyra, Morgana as her list of champions. Here are my questions. Damn, I apologize if this is long. Question one. As Lux, if I run into Vex, I get rolled. Like I perma-ban Yasuo because that's annoying as fuck, but I may actually need to swap my ban to Lux because her W is just too hard to dodge when she's in minions. How can I deal with her? Because having my day ruined with Yas Windwall sounds about as fun as cancer. So... First of all, Lux should not be banning Yasuo. Just period. Like, yes, his Windwall's obnoxious for your wave clear abilities, but your ult's on a tiny cooldown and bypasses Windwall entirely. Like, she should not be fearing Yasuo more than most mages. Vex? I think against Vex, I think it's Lux favored a lot. I played the matchup on the Vex side. And it feels like Lux just outranges me a lot of the time. Yep. Um, so it could just be the way you're playing the lane. Um, uh, you say her W is hard I, to dodge. I, I assume they mean the the E, the, the e? like okay. range circle on the ground, because the W yeah. is a melee range point blank AOE shield. So a lot of a lot of the movements in League are pretty telegraphed in the low elos. So a lot of it is sort of baiting out trying to get the vex to use her e um and then if she uses her e she doesn't have a fear and you pretty much win the trade because you outrange her with your autos and your eq um i would even think it's better if she's in the minion wave too because you just e the entire minion wave and her so you get prio in the lane and you get to poke her out and you don't always have to finish your lux passive procs a lot of it's just getting small poke damage over time which makes it yes. easier to all in her. But also, this is just, in general, every champion against Vex, buy boots, first back. Seriously. Every single lane. If you're against Vex, you should be buying boots on your first back. Do not take free-ass boots against Vex. The reason being, her E, the AoE f- uh, spell that she casts, that's usually what she uses to proc her fear so she can land a free follow-up Q and pop the E on you, has a travel time that increases with distance, but it's not clear to you, the opponent. It's only really clear to Vex, the user. That movement speed from Boots, even just Boots 1, is enough for most champions to be able to outrun the circle as it increases, unless Vex's aim is really good, or you're just standing still. As long as you're moving, it's really hard for Vex to actually land that. It's the same concept Um, when dealing with a brand. Very similar, yes. Um, If you don't get boots, it's way too easy for them to land the skill shots on you. If you get boots, suddenly you feel like a dodging god, and it's just that that little bit of move speed makes a lot of difference. Um, Other than that, the other big problem I think Lux specifically has with Vex is if Vex lands any kind of hits on you initially, 
Vex is really good at all inning from about 60 to 75% and just blowing you up with her ult. Um, and champions like Lux do not have the ability to deal with that. So you have to make sure, like Bomo said, don't worry about proccing your passive. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Just poke her down with E-spam. And eventually she will be too low health to fight you. And then you can do whatever. You can start looking for all-in opportunities. Fish for Qs. And if one hits, blow her up with an E and an ult yeah. kind of things. Uh, and good luck is... Go ahead. Oh, good luck is also pretty scary too. Because what she'll do is put an E down on top of the Vex. And you're slowed. And then she can follow up with her with her uh, her root. And so it's just nearly impossible to counterplay that as the Vex. And so um, just maybe just try different things and see what works. But yeah, in general, the, the range should be enough for you to start being able to beat the Vex in lane once you start to understand what Vex wants to do. Yeah, that's one of the things I want to push back on slightly, though, is that um, when it comes to getting hit by a CC by, by Vex means that you die because she has so much burst. Lux is actually one of the mages who can actually fight that. The other one's a Morgana. Because they have shields. <laughs> they can't actually yep. just be burst out from 100 by almost anybody. It's one of the reasons why Lux is actually a decent matchup against Zed and Yasuo. Because it's very, very difficult to actually burst Lux from they, a high They have point. to burn you down from 100 and then disengage and then wait and re-engage. They mm -hmm. can't usually 100-0 you unless they're already ahead. Right. Um, so the main thing I think, uh, Jax mentioned it, but I want to reiterate it. You don't have to get your passive. I f without like seeing your gameplay or anything, the, the fact that you say that you're having problems with Vex means that that might be one of the big reasons why, um, you don't need to get your passive. Um, getting your passive on Lux is for melee matchups. Like <laughs> that's what that's for. You don't you don't need you don't need that passive when you're dealing with range matchups. You your your AOE is so large, it does enough damage on its own against range matchups. <clears throat> so yeah, don't, uh, yep. that's the only thing I can really think of without seeing you know gameplay. But you should be able to win that. All right, this next one isn't technically a question, but I'm going to interpret it as such. Silas is hard to auto with without passive, but then I'm jungling mana, trying to be aggressive when I can then clean up minions. So, I'm interpreting this to be how do I last hit with Silas um, without wasting all of your mana on Q spam. The answer to that, honestly, is practice. Melee champions have this weird thing where the animations don't always line up perfectly with the swing timers. It's really easy to cancel autos with Silas. He's one of the ones where it feels off. Um, I don't think it actually is, but it feels off in a sense like the animation doesn't quite line up with what uh, what you think should be going on. It's literally just you just have to play enough Silas to get the hang of it. You also got to remember that melee champions do more damage with their auto attacks than ranged champions do. So the thresholds of when you can walk in and last hit a minion are different on Silas than they are on Lux, for example. It really just comes down to play enough games of him to get the hang of it. There's there's a bunch of champions that are like that. Like Anivia is really awkward to last hit with autos with and you literally just have to put the time in. There's no easy answer. Anything else? All right. Nah, I'm good. Let's let's get the last remaining question from Panda to wrap this one up for tonight, which is, my Misso and I are learning to play together in lane properly, and understanding each other is a process, but getting better. My question for this one is, she believes that it's better to have different lanes because she trusts me to take care of mid most of the time, and being honest, in most of the games we lose, it's been a top becoming an unstoppable monster, or her AD carry is too hesitant or unable to use their lead effectively, despite me following mid or ganking when possible. Is it stronger for us to duo in bot, or to have two lanes get ahead trusting each other to play our roles? I mean, this question will be asked forever. Because um, the answer is very much, it depends. In general, I like having two... If you're going to duo queue, I like having two different lanes. Um, yep. The best one is to have a jungler and a solo laner, but 
jungle and support is also a really good combination, actually. It doesn't sound like it would be, but it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, the reason for jungle and support being really good together, by the way, is they both have the same job. They find the fed lane and and make them more fed. The, yep. They, <laughs> if you just have the jungle and support follow around the one fed person, you generally have a good time. Um, but as duo queue... I do prefer to have separate lanes, mostly for the reason you stated, honestly. Like, if I'm doing with somebody, I generally assume that they're competent and that they can take care of themselves. I don't need to handhold or babysit them. Um, the only reason for wanting a duo queue in the bot lane is to just completely smash that lane. Like Yes. that That's what I was going to get to, is unless you are playing Callista or Draven with a kill <laughs> support, you shouldn't be duo queuing. Like, it doesn't have to be those champions specifically, but, like, that mindset of, I am going to dumpster this lane and then use that massive lead that I've got by shitting on my opponent to then go and smash the rest of the map. Because if you're not doing that, you're wasting your duo. The best reason to do it, to, to, to have the duo in the bot lane, is to get two people ahead. Yep. That's, that's like, the best reason. Because... In any other duo situation, if you have top and mid duo together, one can get ahead and one can get behind. In duo queue, if you're doing and bot, you both get ahead or you both get behind. There's not, you don't one and one. You never get to split the difference. Yeah, you never split the difference. It's it's all or nothing. So it's very volatile that way, where you, if you lose, you're going to lose hard. You have to basically trust the rest of your team to do things. But if you win, you also win hard, and you can basically steamroll the map now. So, when it comes to climbing, that's not a good way to go about it. You want consistency, not coin flips. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's why I personally don't think it's a great idea to do it. That said, usually when, if I'm duoed with a support, it helps immensely. Like, it makes the lane so much better, because... Here's the secret for it. It's actually not nothing on the other side. When you're solo solo queue and you're not duoed with your support, you don't have communication, they frequently don't realize that you've lost the lane. And they'll keep playing as if they're equal or ahead. And they'll keep dying over and over. If you're duoed with them, you can tell them, all right, we've lost this lane. We're in loss mitigation. We're sitting by the tower, defending in deep. We're (laughs) refusing to fight. And... You can salvage a lot of lost lanes that way. That's the or 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 you can play it like me and Crush do, tend to do, which is where we have a lead. One of us makes a play thinking that we're on the same page, and the other one thinks that the play has ended and starts walking away. That happens. And a lot which of one of us is doing that changes every fucking time. Yep. We um, are just completely a hundred percent on opposite pages when we play bot together, which is why it does take a lot of time together. to cultivate being on the same page with your with your bot lane duo um it takes a lot of time but when you do it it is pretty effective um you do still have a couple of those it does still happen where if you are behind it means two people on your team are behind and that's the problem that's that's the danger of doing it so if you want consistency if you want to climb as fast as you can jungle support are the best more important for me though when duo when specifically duo queuing is more having fun even in ranked cuz like i assume you like this person that you're duoing with <laughs> you say miso so i assume thing. wife <laughs> it's also um, just a morale thing like if you're having yeah. fun now you have two people who are going to be in a good mood even if the game goes south mm-hmm. which means less likelihood of just straight up mental boom kind of losses right yep but like of course like the always correct answer is that uh one person can play whatever role they want because the other person the second person in the duo just plays top lane and plays lucian it just wins all the games so that's the actual correct answer to this answer to this question but it requires someone playing lucian top which you know it's hard to win every time there it is there it is all right this has been episode 359 of the four wards podcast i've been jack soman for crush you for bomo have a great night bye bye
Thanks for listening to the Four Wards Podcast, part of the Trendy Force Network. If you'd like to leave questions or feedback for the crew, send us an email at fourwards at trinityforcepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at fourwardspodcast with the number four. Finally, you can also find us at fourwards.trinityforcepodcast.com. If you'd like to check out all the other great podcasts that are part of the network, head on over to trinityforcenetwork.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time with more ways to help you move forward in league.